This show is a part of the podcast network of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, an international community of philosophers and seekers dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever they may be found. To find out more, go to thewalledgarden.com. Hello and welcome to Soul Searching with Seneca. So, in today's episode, we're focusing on verses 3 through till probably about verse 6. Hopefully, if we make it through, we were planning on making it through to verse 6 in the last episode, we got uh, to the end of verse 2. So, that just shows you how slowly we're moving through these letters, but that's okay. Uh, Something like this, I think it's worth taking the time. And, uh, and so, in these verses, we kind of get, uh, as you may have known from the, the title of this, uh, of this episode, there's kind of a little prophecy that Seneca gives us about his writings, the way that he sees them moving forward into history, and the way that he kind of feels about, uh, I, I, I guess, the, um, the renown that his writings are going to bring uh, himself, I guess, and, and also Lucilius, which... You know, as we have always said in this series, may very well just be Seneca. He may very well just be talking to his soul right here. So anyway, I'm going to read these verses and uh, and we'll see this prophecy that Seneca gives us. He says, quote, Allow me to mention the case of Epicurus. He was writing to Idiomenius and trying to recall him from a showy existence to sure and steadfast renown. Idiomenius was at that time a minister of state who exercised a rigorous authority and had important affairs in hand. If, said Epicurus, you are attracted by fame, my letters will make you more renowned than all the things which you cherish and which make you cherished. Did Epicurus speak falsely? Who would have known of Idiomenius had not the philosopher thus engraved his name in those letters of his? All the grandees and satraps, even the king himself, who was petitioned for the title which Idiomenius sought, are sunk in deep oblivion. Cicero's letters keep the name of Atticus from perishing. It would have profited Atticus nothing to have an Agrippa for a son-in-law, a Tiberius for the husband of his granddaughter, and a Drusus Caesar for a great-grandson. Amid these mighty names, his name would never be spoken, had not Cicero bound him to himself. The deep flood of time will roll over us. Some few great men will raise their heads above it, and though destined at the last to depart into the same realms of silence, will battle against oblivion and maintain their ground for long. That which Epicurus could promise his friend, this I promise you, Lucilius. I shall find favour among later generations. I can take with me names that will endure as long as mine. Our poet Virgil promised an eternal name to two heroes, and is keeping his promise. He said, Blessed heroes twain, if power my song possess, the record of your names shall never be erased from out the book of time. While yet Aeneas's tribe shall keep the capital, that rock immovable, and Roman sire shall empire hold. Whenever men have been thrust forward by fortune, 
whenever they have become part and parcel of another's influence, they have found abundant favour. Their houses have been thronged, only so long as they themselves have kept their position. When they themselves have left it, they have slipped at once from the memory of men. But in the case of innate ability, the respect in which it is held increases, and not only does honour accure to the man himself, but whatever has attached itself to his memory is passed on from one to another. End quote. So, these are some very interesting passages to hear from Seneca, right? I mean, you wouldn't necessarily expect to hear from a Stoic philosopher uh, this kind of, it's almost like he's boasting, right? It's almost like he's saying, listen, my abilities are so strong, my natural abilities are so strong that uh, the goodness that is coming from my soul is going to be passed down for many generations. I'm going to bring your name renown because I'm mentioning you in these letters, which are going to bring great renown to both of us. It's a very interesting side of Seneca that we uh, perhaps don't often see. Uh, and so he's kind of making this prophecy, right? And, and so uh, he starts off the letter by, you know, obviously pointing out that somebody like uh, Idiomenius was actually passed on and would have merely been swept into oblivion if it had not been for the fact that he was written into Epict- uh, Epicurus's letters. And he's basically using that as an argument to say that, listen, uh, Epicurus was brilliant, clearly, and his words have been passed on uh, as they should be, right? And and so we now know, uh, we now know of Idiomenius because of Epicurus and his greatness. And now he's saying to Lucilius, the same will happen to you because uh, I am writing you into these letters. And I love this uh, this line here. He says, the deep flood of time will roll over us. Some few great men will raise their heads above it, and though destined at last to depart into the same realms of silence, will battle against oblivion and maintain their ground for long. So this is just beautiful imagery. You know, you get this sense, like many of the Stoics talked about, that time and the eternal churn of cause and effect is just constantly moving on. We are always moving towards oblivion. Eventually, your name will be forgotten and nothing about you will be remembered, right? Uh, because time is always marching on. And, and Seneca gives us this kind of image of the battle that is taking place uh, between the few great men that kind of rise their heads up in, in, uh, in society and, and, and shine the light that comes from within them. Uh, you know, it's this battle against oblivion. It's a battle against the, uh, you know, about the, uh, against the flood of time. It's, it's absolutely a stunning way to think about it. And, and man, I mean, like, isn't it interesting to now be reading Seneca's writings almost 2000 years since he wrote them? And to think that this prophecy that he had for his writings came true. We haven't even come to the prophecy yet, but he says uh, that, that which Epicurus could promise his friend, this I promise you, Lucilius, I shall find favour among later generations. I can take with me names that will endure as long as mine. And so that's his kind of prophecy that, that, that I'm kind of interested in here. He said that these writings are going to be passed down, you know, and, and I'm going to find favour in the future generations. Very, very interesting to note that now we are so interested in his writings uh, this far away from his life. And 
you get this sense that Seneca is, you know, up there in oblivion fighting the good battle and, uh, and keeping his words alive in the hearts and souls of many men and women to come. And of course, as he understands, eventually his words are just going to be you know, thrust into the into the flood of, of oblivion and, and he will be forgotten. Uh, his name will no longer be remembered and and uh, nor will his teachings. And that's that's something really interesting to consider is okay, well even so, why is it that what what draws Seneca to write then? What is it that uh, that he is trying to do? Uh, because it's certainly not a sophisticated um, argument to say that the Stoics, you know, recognize that fate is just happening and ultimately time is going to roll over all of us and ultimately none of it matters. You know, you can have a very nihilistic argument for that, but that's definitely not the way that Seneca saw things. He really wanted to uncover the contents that were shining within his own soul, the goods that were in himself. He wanted to let them shine and he wanted to contribute that to the future generations, which is absolutely beautiful. So he goes on to say that whenever men have been thrust forward by fortune, whenever they have become part of part and parcel of another's influence, they have found abundant favor. Their houses have been thronged only so long as they themselves have kept their position. When they themselves have left it, they have slipped at once from memory of men. But in the case of innate ability, the respect in which it is held increases. And not only does honor accure to the man himself, but whatever has attached itself to his memory is passed on from one to another. And so you might remember in the previous episode, I discussed a little passage from this same letter where Seneca is describing the difference between the goods of the soul and external goods. And he said that there is the same difference between these two lives as there is between mere brightness and real light. The latter has a definite source from within itself, and the other borrows its radiance. The one is called forth by an illumination coming from the outside, and anyone who stands between the source and the object immediately turns the latter into a dense shadow, but the other has a glow that comes from within. You know, and so when he's talking in this, this other passage here about the difference between those people who might get political favor or good fortune or, uh, you know, they become famous or they get a lot of wealth and everybody wants to be around them. But as soon as they leave that position, everybody else leaves, right? Because because it's kind of a, a fake brightness. It's a fake light. It's, it's, it's something that can be shadowed, right? Uh, whereas the goods of the soul, innate ability that Seneca is talking about, you might think of as, as talent. What, it, what are you truly good at? What is the good that is from within your soul that you should seek that would truly bring out the best in you? That innate ability that he's talking about is the true light. It's, it's the light that we all want to allow to shine forth from our beings. And so I get the sense that Seneca felt as though he had cottoned onto something very important here. He, he had discovered a universal principle of what makes, for example, good art, what makes good writing, uh, you know, what makes something good, uh, and what truly makes something worth uh, or worthy of renown. And what is it that human beings latch onto uh, in, in the writings or the creations of uh, people who have come before them? And it's something to do with this bringing forth this innate ability that we have within us, this good that comes from the soul, this light that shines from within.
within and allowing that to shine forth. That is what will uh, give you, you might even say eternal life in terms of, you know, you're, you're, you're putting your stuff out there and it's going into this battle against oblivion uh, with the greats of your time, right? And there's something, there's something really true about that. I mean, like the, the works that we always look back to in terms of the great writers, the great artists, there are fewer and fewer and fewer great artists and writers and thinkers that we actually pay attention to as they get farther away from us because we're always trying to refine. We're always trying to say, what is the essence? What is the essence of a great thinker, a great writer, a great artist? And does this person match up with that? And Seneca is saying here that he thinks he's actually cottoned onto something that uh, will carry his writings uh, into the future um, and will actually uh, be carried forth with with many generations to come. So anyway, I just, I love this passage in this letter from Seneca. I think it's interesting, you know, some people might say, well, look, uh, Seneca is uh, kind of just boasting about his writing, that sort of stuff, but I, I don't know. I think he's really touched on something that is fundamental about human nature and, and speaks to what we truly seek uh, in things that inspire us, in things that we want to keep, things that we want to carry forward into the future over many generations. There's there's something very uh, very fundamental that Seneca is talking about here, and it, it certainly speaks to this idea in Stoicism of living in agreement with nature. You know, pay attention to to who you truly are. What is what is the thing that you are talented at? What are you naturally drawn towards? What what do you have an innate ability in? You know, and and you've got to really ask yourself: If I truly decided to pursue the development of that natural inclination that I have within me, that natural innate ability, would that be not the same thing? as fitting perfectly into the web and fabric of society, taking our place, as Sharon LaBelle would say, in the theatre of life, wouldn't that be exactly what would be the best possible thing that we could do in with our lives to contribute in, in the kind of cosmopolitan way that we as aspiring Stoics might like to, like to consider? It's something certainly to consider. It's something certainly to wrestle with and to grapple with. And, and we, we obviously see Seneca doing just that in this letter. So anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I will talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.